0: and who we are and what we are. But it's something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon.
1: This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. And welcome to the program here on CITR 101.9 FM. CITR.ca, syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM and available as a podcast at the city fm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst, and on today's program we look at a current labor struggle in the city. Today we're talking with executive members from qp 2278, the local representing UBC teaching assistants, markers, tutors, and instructors, and the English Language Institute. We'll discuss why the union is currently engaged in a job action within the global and local context of neoliberalism and labor mobilizations. You're tuned into the, you're tuned into the city here on CITR 101.9 FM, An hour dedicated to critical urban discussions, stay with us. Certified in 1979, QP2278 is a local of the Canadian Union of Public Employees, And the local is run by volunteer teaching assistants who are elected each year by the membership of the local and QP 2278. Represents, uh, as I mentioned, teaching assistants, markers, tutors, and instructors at the English Language Institute at UBC. And it's composed of both undergraduate and graduate students. They have roughly 3,000 members. And on October 30th, QP 2278 activated its strike mandate with a rotating job action rather than a full work stoppage. Um, and over the last week, the union has been picketing various buildings on campus. And beginning on November 6th, uh, which is today as we go to air, uh, they've entered into mediation with the university and a third-party mediator, Vince Reddy. On November 2nd, uh, I spoke with uh, QP2278 executive members Michael Stewart and Glynis, uh Kirkmeyer, as well as Sage Ponder and Roger Clark. And uh, I think this is really important because when we uh, when we live in cities, we have to look around and uh, realize and um, appreciate the labor that goes into um, what we see in our cities, and I think far too often, um, often those landscapes uh, take labor out of the question, and we see spaces uh, for kind of what they are um, beyond the labor that goes into making that. And on a campus like UBC, um, we've seen uh, uh, past action, uh, labor action with QP one one six and. Uh, that's something that we're also going to be talking about, and these are a lot. This is the local representing a lot of the outside workers at the university, who deal with the landscaping and the cleanup and picking up the garbage and um, making the campus look beautiful, like like we see it. So, I think it's important to reflect upon this, and this is a, another labor action, and this is um, a, a local that is representing um, many people. Um, and who are working towards um making a better place for undergraduates and for fellow graduate students and everyone um and this is the university and this is as they say um the university works because we do so i think it's important when we think about the city we need to think about the labor that goes into making the city and making the place um as we know it and appreciate that and so in in doing so um really looking at this as an important labor struggle within the city, and this is one of many, and, uh, you know, looking at all of these labor struggles um, is something that I think is important to do and reflect upon. So without any further ado, I'm going to go into part one of this interview, recorded on November 2nd. Okay, well, let's first start with a round of introductions, and uh, we'll just go around the circle here.
0: Uh, I'm Michael Stewart. I'm an English PhD, and I'm the chair in communications for QP 2278.
2: I'm Roger Clark. I uh, recently finished a PhD in philosophy. Um, I've been with the union since 2005, and I'm the chair of the bargaining committee.
3: And I'm Glynis Kirkmeyer. I'm a second-year master's student in the history department. I'm the head of the strike committee and picket captain. I'm Sage Ponder. I'm part of the exec of QP
4: 2278.
1: (laughs) So let's first start with an overview of the issue and um, also provide a bit of historical context uh, so people can see this uh, as as a larger and broader issue.
2: So the current strike is part of the process of negotiating a new collective agreement for TAs at UBC who are represented by QP 2278. Our previous collective agreement, our previous contract, expired in, uh, at the end of summer 2010. So there's a long process that's led up to this. Now, before the contract was about to expire, um, we did things like conducting polls of our members, holding lots of meetings to figure out what were uh, our main issues going into this round of bargaining. With those things in mind, we started bargaining in the summer of 2010, a little bit before the contract expired. We've been bargaining since then. Um, we knew going in that we were in a difficult time to bargain. The, uh, the university's bargaining is partly constrained by the provincial government, which sort of uh, holds the purse strings, gives them a mandate on what they can negotiate with us. We were negotiating under what's called a net zero mandate, meaning that they couldn't give us any money that didn't come back out of our, our uh, collective agreement. That was the mandate for the two years, 2010 to 2012. Um, I'll say also at the very first meeting, the very first bargaining meeting, uh, the uh, human resources representative told us that even aside from the net zero mandate, there just wasn't any money there. Even if the, the province said they could give us money, the university was in dire straits and everybody had to tighten their belts. And we took him at his word. We believed that. We spent a while focusing on language improvements to the collective agreement, things that don't actually cost the university money but could make a difference for our members. And that's how things proceeded up until the beginning of this year, the beginning of 2012. Two things happened in January that were significant for us. Number one, we found out that despite what I just told you that the university said at our first meeting, So let me back up, sorry. Um, The university is required to disclose total remuneration paid to all employees who make $75,000 a year or more. So in 2012, we got our hands on copies of that document, that disclosure document, for 2010 and 2011. What we saw from looking at those figures and those names When you take out, so we took out everybody who only occurred on one of the lists, so we're just looking at people who were above 75,000 at the university both years, and what we saw was an average increase in total remuneration of 2.92%. So at one time they're telling us, not only does the province say we can't offer you any money, which was true, but they tell us that everybody needs to tighten their belt, and yet they turn around and give the people at the top increases. Now, those numbers we've got are a black box. We don't know exactly where they're coming from. We don't know exactly what those are made of. But, you know, they've told us that some of these are merit increases, some of these are etc. etc. When you look at some of the agreements, the APPS agreement, for example, the clause on merit increases says you have to give these things if the university can afford it. They were not required to do this. They were not required to give increases to the people at the top, but they did. That got us upset, so that's the one thing that happened in January. The other thing was that the provincial mandate for the next two years, 2012 to 2014, came out. This was a slightly different mandate from the net zero. This was cooperative gains, which is a funny way of saying something a little bit like zero. (laughs) Um, Now, Whereas net zero means any increase in the collective agreement has to come back out of the collective agreement. Cooperative gains means the university's got to find savings somewhere in its budget to to compensate for whatever they're going to offer us. So this was something that would allow them to offer us some money. It wasn't clear how much that would be, but it was something. So under the understanding that there's money to be got, maybe, and my goodness, we're upset, and our labor power is cyclical as TA's. We have the, the university doesn't want us to withdraw our labor power during exams. They don't really care if we withdraw our labor power during the summer. So in the spring, we geared up for a strike vote, aiming at getting something done before our power vanishes in the summer. We held a strike vote in March. We had, I believe it was 81 81. Per, 81% in favor. That gave us a mandate that would legally allow us to go on strike. The university got us into mediation. We were in mediation over the summer. This was an achievement. We made some gains in mediation, but I'm losing track of times, but I think it was sometime in October recently. We saw where mediation was going. We saw how how much we could get just by continuing with that process, realized we weren't happy with it, went back to the members. They agreed they're not happy with it. We held a vote so that it wasn't just people at the meeting who would decide how happy we are with what the university was offer- offering. We got a 76 perc- 76? 76% in favor of going on strike, and that's what we've done. So we've engaged in initially mild but escalating job action to put pressure on the university to give us a fair deal. We've gotten uh, dates with a new mediator, uh, this is a different kind of mediation process. We're optimistic about being able to make it, to make gains. We're meeting with the mediator on Tuesday, which I guess is today by the time you hear this. We are right now making gains. <laughs> Look at us. We're in Richmond working real hard. That's where we are right now.
1: And can you give me an overview of uh, what this uh, job action entails and, and uh, currently uh, what we're seeing on campus?
3: So the... Nuclear option is actually labor withdrawal. Um, We have a a variety of of options leading up to that. Uh, Job action um, entails uh, things such as pickets, um, where we go to buildings that um, include people laboring inside TAs have office hours to classes that sort of thing and um we disrupt the normal business of uh that building for a set amount of time and then um ask people not to cross the picket line uh the picket line is a symbolic um line of of uh picketers right in front uh that legally of course uh anyone can come and go but symbolically if they stop it means that they support the union and if they go through that they do not um so we um, began our um, after the uh, approval uh, vote uh, last week. We um, began our job action on Monday and uh, did a, a symbolic uh, um, picket of uh, the Jack Bell School of Social Work. And uh, every day have ramped up our um, our job action. The um, the ramping up uh, has to do with. Uh, the kinds of targets that we choose Um, and the thing to keep in mind with that is that we're looking for impact on the university and um, so we are targeting um, like on our second day, on Tuesday we targeted Buchanan Tower which has um, uh, administration and faculty offices. Um, That's not something that would uh, impact students as much Um, Although, of course, there were some classes and uh, TA mailboxes, that sort of thing inside, um, but it sends a strong message to the university as well as to the faculty, and and uh, um, really makes the faculty uh, in that building uh, decide whether or not to support us. Um, then on um, our third day, we um, targeted uh, the geography and math buildings. Um, the, in those uh, cases, we interrupted classes. Um, in, on uh Thursday, we targeted Macmillan, which was um has a, a number of departments and faculties um uh all based around like the land and food systems faculty and as well as uh some other administrative um departments that i'm not i don't have right <laughs> now, but uh I don't have the full list but it was it was large, and we disrupted a, a large um class of a uh, few hundred students um and then finally today, um we originally had planned on targeting uh another admin building the uh, Brock hall um Brock Hall is connected by a hallway to Brock annex, uh, which you would think would be included as an annex to a building um but and and the annex has uh, lots and lots of t a offices and office hours and that sort of thing um, the University argued that they are not the same building, and since Brock Hall does not contain uh, TAs performing labor, we don't have a right to interrupt uh, their activities, which makes sense. You wouldn't want to target random bystanders. So um, we uh, don't agree with their definition of what a building is, but uh, playing it safe, uh, we decided to uh, move uh, our picket line earlier in the morning to um, the Ira K. Barber Learning Center. And that uh, was a really great action. We started early in the morning and got uh, tons of turnout. Um, we've gotten f- fairly this, consistent sorry, numbers. this is t- Friday? Today, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, this is Friday. Um, today the interview, not on Tuesday. <laughs> and uh, uh, So uh, consistent numbers. Uh, lots of new uh, people joining the picket line that we haven't seen before um, and our really focus are was though it was a student use centered building we wanted to educate students and disrupt the work so um, a number of library workers um, joined our picket line um, the cafe closed down and uh, at least uh, a handful of, of workers from there also joined our picket line um, and we got some pretty positive reception from the students going by so uh that um was a visible uh was visible both to um administrators and to the the wider uh community of the university and uh we're hoping to keep up the momentum before mediation
1: i was observing the picket line on uh i guess this would have been wednesday and uh, this is outside the geography and the math buildings And obviously, you can't, you know, not everyone uh, respects the picket line. Um, How do you handle people that choose to cross the picket line? And and what does that interaction uh, entail, especially with people that may not even, uh, maybe even know that there are unions, that there is a union that represents TAs, and that you are organizing, and that there is a job action, and it may be a total shock to them? How do you start that conversation?
3: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there's been a lot of education, and it's been a steep learning curve for us, but we've really emphasized the need for picket etiquette and really um, what our um, our goal is in, in doing this. And so um, so to indicate to picketers that they are allowed to cross, we keep moving at all times. Um, we um, speak with people looking to cross uh, one-on-one rather than as a group group. Um, and uh, we have FAQ sheets for um, people just to uh, be educated perhaps if they're on their way to something and they really can't talk um, but if people are amenable, then we um, are more than happy to talk about what is a picket line, what does this mean why are we here, are you targeted uh, what is and the answer is no uh, are, like, why does this matter and um, sometimes people don't have the time or, uh, but that's fine. Um, the FAQ sheets help with that. Um, there has been an issue as well with, um, educating our members and that's, um, again, the, the, uh, steep learning curve, uh, because there's not as much of an awareness that, um, sometimes people don't know that a picket line is actually symbolic and does represent something tangible to us. Um, and even though they they say they support it oh but i have to go to class uh so uh correcting the dis- disconnect is what we're really focused on currently
0: um yeah i mean obviously the the complex and kind of fluid uh workspace of the university is is comp- is produces some like complex challenges i think <clears throat> i mean in a in a typical strike uh, at a factory or something like that, I mean, it's pretty clear what's going on, right? The, the workers aren't in the building. People who want to go into the building have to cross the workers, and they're going to do work inside. But with so many different things going on at the campus, it can be quite confusing. So, I, I don't think we should be surprised that, uh, especially with the the level of labor discourse in this country, that uh, undergraduates are a bit confused about what. It, it even means that, a, what a picket line even means, what constitutes a picket line, what's the point of it, right? In fact, uh, one of the funny things at the geography picket line was that inside during the picket there was a political science class on Marxism and organized labor <laughs> um, and you know, I mean, uh, I was asked about that by, by one of the papers here and uh, I said well maybe the people who are crossing this picket line should be going to that class because they need to know what it means to support strikes, right? Um, obviously I would have preferred if they didn't but I mean the fact is, is that we can't Keep people from crossing the picket lines, because uh, f- for the main reason that they don't even know what it is. So our main job, and 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 Glynis has been amazing at doing this, is is getting literature out and talking to people, making sure that they know why we're there. I mean, th- there seems to be this this uh, spectrum of of. Uh, reactions that we get and the first one is almost always confusion right um if it's not just like please don't bother me i just don't want to get hassled right um but then after that almost everyone uh, i would say like 90
1: percent or more of people are at least willing to listen to you and and for that for us that's a that's a huge step do you think this is maybe a microcosm of a larger and broader issue not just within canada but in the u.s certainly as well and other uh former industrial, um, and now maybe we think of ourselves as post-industrial, but countries where we saw very high uh, rates of unionization, do you think this is uh, representative of the times that we're in and the fact that people don't even, they don't even know what a picket line is? What does that tell us about the times we live in?
3: Intense success. (laughs) It's... um, People would be outraged if they were required to work on a Saturday. Uh, people died to get that right. Uh, the 40-hour workweek, maternity benefits, uh, standards for safety in the workplace, uh, these are all things that people have died over. Um, oh, the, oh, yeah, the ability of the government not to shoot you when you're on strike. That the stakes which were, we
1: saw in south africa right
3: right yeah that i mean this it's uh unfortunately contemporary yeah. uh it's it sounds like strike or unions are not um relevant any longer but um the for, in this continent uh well in north america um i'm actually not sure perhaps in mexico it is still uh an issue of uh actual violence by employers against laborers um the uh the the stakes now are are more um subtle and uh the structure has incorporated some of the main critiques that um labor rights activists have had um for working conditions and so um it's it's become more of a a gradual trickle back of of I, and perhaps tropical back isn't the right word, but whatever it, it's 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 um a, a gradual rollback of the structural um benefits that we we get so for instance um the fact that our uh wages are not tied to inflation uh though Vancouver is a very expensive city to live in uh and it gets more expensive every year but our wages stay the same that's there's the university takes advantage of the fact that our um Union has a uh, very high turnover in our membership and therefore low institutional memory. Um, we then don't realize as a collective group how bad we have it when our wages don't go up.
5: Fiction When we're not together i mistaken for a vision Something of my own creation I wake up alone With only daylight between us Last night the world was beneath us Tonight comes too long Were we torn apart The break of day, you're more than I can believe.
1: And you're tuned into the city here on CITR 101.9 FM and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM and that's CJSF.ca and also available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. And uh, you're tuned into an hour uh, and we're talking today about uh, the current QP2278 job action underway uh, representing uh, TA's. Uh, teaching assistants here on the UBC campus, among um, other uh, workers as well. And I also want to mention, if you're tuning in on CJSF 90.1 FM, uh, coming from uh, Simon Fraser University in Burnaby, uh, it's also um, uh, that QP Local 3338 uh, um three eight um, is also uh, in the middle of a job action. So I think it's important to realize that uh, we have um, a number of different locals that are engaged in fighting for uh, fair wages and a fair deal uh, with the university. So uh, keep that in mind and check that out. Uh, follow that. And I uh, just wanted to mention that as we go into the second half of the discussion uh, with the executive members from QP 2278 here at UBC. And uh, I'm speaking with uh, members from uh, the QP2278 executive, uh, Michael Stewart, Glennis Kirkmeyer, Sage Ponder, and Roger Clark. And this uh, interview was recorded on uh, November 2nd. And we're going to jump now into part two of that uh, discussion. And uh, just uh, that short music break uh, was The XX. I want to pick up on something that has been, uh, on my mind, we've seen QP 116 uh, engaged in uh, job action in the past on UBC campus. And I'm just curious, what are the connections and the solidarities between uh, the idea of of outside or manual labor and the idea of of, uh, unions that represent um, workers that are, you know, their their work revolves around academic labor and I'm just curious whether this poses a challenge for organizing on a campus like UBC where there are uh, perhaps more of the you know traditional quote-unquote laborers or uh, you know outside workers as opposed to the graduate students and does that how does that uh, frame the discussion within the campus or does it?
0: Uh, well actually when I first came to the union uh, to the QP2278 I I felt maybe a little bit anxious about about that relationship that you know I, uh, as a grad student we, we c- kind of have a job that isn't normally associated with unions uh, um, and I wasn't sure about how 116 or 2950 would, would consider us uh, as graduate students uh, and they have been incredible. I mean they're like what they've what they've taught us and shown us what it means to uh support each other and support other uh sister unions um they're they're always out on our picket lines uh they're giving us advice they bring equipment they bring uh good spirits you know it's been it's been really wonderful to to see uh i mean it's been a teaching experience for me to see what it what it really means having never been in a union before to to see what kind of solidarity they show
1: let's um, yeah sorry,
0: can i just mention also uh We do
2: coordinate with, not just with 116 and 2950, the other two QP locals on campus, but uh, there's the University's Coordinated Bargaining Committee. All the QP locals in the university sector in BC get together monthly and coordinate their bargaining. We all have different issues. Ours are, you know, we as TAs maybe have more different issues than most people have from each other, but we're all working together, and we have been for years now.
4: I just want to say one thing, too. Um, As Glynis mentioned, CUPE 2278 membership has a really high turnover and a really short institutional memory, but CUPE 116 does not. They have a long institutional memory, and they um, remember and they tell us at meetings sometimes um, about the historically strong relationship between 2278 and 116. So, for example, when we um, had the general membership meeting and we were discussing whether or not to take a second strike, the president of 116 came up and told us about um, the historic relationship between the two unions and how um, they traditionally went on the picket lines together. And I think one of you may be able to relate this story better, but in 2006 when the – previous contract was up for negotiation, UBC actually tried to turn around and uh, negotiate oh, okay <laughs> maybe Roger can
2: sure, I, step I, in I can give so, yeah. um, in the 200506 uh, round of bargaining the provincial government was offering everybody in the public sector a chunk of money, it was about $3,000 uh, if they would uh, sign a collective agreement that went through the Olympics without uh, engaging in any job action so the university tried to take, take some of that signing bonus money and offer a bigger signing bonus to 116 at the expense of our members. And 116 refused. They mm. would not sign unless we were given the, the equal amount.
3: It was a matter of $5,000 per member.
2: Mm. Right. Yeah, they, they have made big sacrifices for us. They, are, they have had our backs for a long time.
1: I want to ask you about the relationship with uh, UBC's administration and what comes to my mind is we are on an academic campus in an academic environment where the idea of higher education um, from sort of this Perhaps romantic liberal ideas that it's accessible to all and that it should be available, and that is for you know education is for the betterment of society and so we're working towards these higher ideals which we see with the the relentless branding I think of UBC of a place of mind and you know I- interested in you know global you know global local interactions and sort of this whole uh, discourse around um, that we are connected to the global and that we're working towards something better. With that in mind though, I, I borrow from Chris Hedges in the idea of death of, of a liberal class and the idea that are we seeing in a place like UBC where administrators should be the ones that are champion championing uh, social justice and these higher ideals, do we see that kind of dissipating? Is this again symbolic of the times we live in where the very people that are supposed to be standing up and championing education for all and better rights for workers and all of these other things, is that that disappearing quickly or um, is that a useful way to even uh, look at the issue?
0: Uh, Yeah, I don't think it's symbolic. I think it's literal and deliberate, actually. I mean. Roger mentioned about how one of the things that angered our members was this three percent raise of uh, people who made seventy-five thousand dollars or more. And and uh, maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that's faculty. That that, that faculty. faculty are included. Fa- faculty are included. Um, uh, but the the structure of the university has changed so much in the last you know fifty years, where uh, where as you'd expect something like 80 to 90% of that to be faculty that that's no longer the case, right? That that the administrative uh, sector of the university has swelled and uh, we see this with proliferating six-figure salaries for deans and associate deans and new positions that we're not even really sure what they do, but um, uh, we see the influx of, uh, of people with corporate experience coming in and taking over the university. Um, I, I mean, one of the things I'm aware of is that the the, uh, the the Department of um, uh, Health, Safety, and Environment uh, recently got taken, uh, got got replaced by uh, the Department of Risk Management. Right. Uh, so, what previously we had uh, scientists and doctors kind of working there to to, um, uh, to keep staff and students healthy. Now we have uh, finance guys, people coming from Best Buy in the United States um, to work. Uh, at the university, and so uh, this idea that um, to ensure that there aren't liabilities—that's <laughs> right. I mean, it becomes it becomes a percentage game, right? Uh, and I just think that that's a very good emblem for how the university is is changing the way that it uh, it thinks about education as uh, as you know part of the public commonwealth that it should be the first to protect. Um, but you have people who who never wanted to play that game at all. In fact, they played a very different one, but now they they have uh, they're the ones who are
3: As as a historian, perhaps I I could also mention that uh, (laughs) uh, you know, these changes are now um, coming into the fore uh, definitely based on on class Um, and class is is restructuring access to education in a new way, but it used to be that race uh, was the structuring factor Um, and if you were a white man particularly you were even if you were not um, middle class or upper class you were still potentially so Um, you can see uh, race still structuring um, access to education particularly in resistance to native education um, and uh, efforts to overturn uh, to overcome um, the poverty and um, lack of enfranchisement that has historically affected Native communities. Uh, So it's not gone. Uh, The difference now is it's affecting people who didn't used to be affected.
1: I want to ask you, as uh, somebody who comes from geography, can you tell me about UBC and in relation to uh, this current uh, current job action, what is UBC like as a site of struggle and particularly in this case a, sti- a site of labor struggle and, and what, uh, from your experience so far, um, how would you characterize that and what are some of the, do you have, I mean, perhaps you have anecdotes and stories to tell about your experiences so far and, um, and how that relates to a broader a broader, um, a broader context.
4: Um, well, if you're if you're thinking about the campus as a, as a site of labor struggle, uh, you have to really. There's a lot of strategic thinking around um, the decisions as to which building to pick it, um, How should we cover entrances and exits? How do we approach undergraduates? Things like that. Um, and one of the really, uh, the most effective affecting issue is uh none of us have really done this before and the university itself uh knows all the rules they're the experts in this game and they they remember 2003 and none of us do Uh, this is a whole entirely new um game to us so we're not sure when we do something wrong if it's uh If we're doing something wrong, if we're doing something right, we're not sure until we find out, oh, we've done something wrong. So, for instance, geography – When we picketed geography and math, we had a noise complaint filed against us. And it was, uh, from my understanding, it's because uh, there were whistles. So we can't uh, noise, we cannot impact buildings that we're not picketing. So, of course, geography is in close quarters with other buildings, geography and math. Um, So we were told that the whistles were impacting people. Uh, The next day we were told from my understanding, again, that the whistling was fine. It was the chanting that was the problem. So <laughs> it's uh, this constant back and forth between um, our our lack of knowledge and their expert knowledge uh, that's really a big, big issue. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah there's, I mean, it's also a challenge with our own members, right? I mean, p- part of the biggest challenge that we face is mobilizing very busy and overworked people uh, with a limited... Uh, investment, um, uh, like mental, emotional investment in the bargaining process, and what what actually produces the wages that they're they're taking, right? Uh, and just like the the student base is very diverse, the executive here is very diverse. Our our membership has very different ideas. Uh, I mean, I was. Uh, speaking to someone over social media who uh, comes from the Quebec context and she just didn't understand why we were volunteering our time for the pickets instead of you know because and she's she's in her words she said where I come from we do strikes differently which I think is a bit of an understatement but I mean <laughs> you know uh, she, she expected uh, that we when and many members expected that when we announced the strike that would mean that was it uh, mm-hmm. we shut down the university until we get what we want right um, But I mean, we face different challenges with mobilizing everyone, and not just the people who are ready to uh, who are ready just at the end of their ropes uh, with what we've been offered by the university so far. So
1: this makes me think of uh, the fact that the provincial government and the federal government are more than happy to step in and and uh, force uh, workers back to work because they deem you essential. Is there any any uh, concern within the TA Union that you could be seen as an essential service?
3: Uh, my understanding is back when uh, uh, the university uh, sat down with uh 2950, 116, and us uh, earlier in October to define exactly who essential services was, we were in on that conversation. So that was before 116 went on strike, right? So uh, people such as nurses, people such as uh, the caretakers of animals and lab experiments, they were essential service workers. Um, and uh so we know uh who of our members it's it's mostly the nursing um uh staff and uh, people in the nursing school um we know who the, those folks are um and we are not going to um picket near the hospital or at the hospital certainly um but perhaps they uh the province will then come and and say that they uh, we are essential. Uh, we well, we are essential. Like uh, there's some TAs um, without TAs, some function, uh, some uh, departments shut down. Mm-hmm. And uh, but whether we're essential enough to be legislated back to work,
1: uh, no one's dying if you're right. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not going to work, um, just
2: for the record, that is how the strike in two thousand three ended. Yeah. We were legislated back to work and declared essential.
0: I think if I think if Air Canada is an essential service, then certainly we're TAs will be an essential service. But
1: <laughs> again, the times we live in. Um, I want to talk about class at UBC because I think there's um, at least maybe a perception that UBC is sort of post class, and that this idea that, and I think to some extent it does reflect a city that is increasingly uh wealthier um in many ways do you think people see uh union activism as something i mean we sort of touched on this but do you think working with undergraduates and and getting them to realize that this is this is a larger struggle and this is for um you know wages and benefits and uh, standards of living that affect everyone. Do you think UBC is is uh, <laughs> is in any way unique um, compared to other campuses? Do you think there's sort of this like post politics or like the post political sort of postmodern like we don't we don't need to look at class as um, as sort of the analytic lens? Like, is there some of that on this campus?
0: Uh, I think if that's the case, it's probably because most people uh, in at UBC would belong to one of the wealthier classes, right? Yeah. I mean, I I, uh, I just mentioned the Quebec co- context, but um, I did my undergraduate at, at McGill University, and in, in 2005 we went on strike uh, against tuition hikes, and uh, McGill was on strike for about a week until they they voted. To leave well the entire province maintained on strike and, and I, I definitely think that has to do with class mm-hmm. right and and uh, maybe a lack of place since so many people who go to McGill don 't actually come from Quebec um, I think speaking in, of UBC uh, it's, you know we 're a wealthy institution in a wealthy city and and uh, it's a, it's a real challenge uh, to try to introduce labor politics in, into into that scenario I think and um, uh, and even
1: different than SFU, I would argue. Uh,
0: I, I, think th- I mean I think that's likely true. I mean SFU has a long history as well. I mean that, that's one of the things maybe at UBC we're lacking, and, and that could be because of, of class. Um, but it takes time to build those sorts of uh, understanding and, and belief. I mean the, uh, in Quebec in 2011 and 2012, uh, they started building that in 2006. Um, So I mean, this is, and they were already had like 30 or 40 years to build on. So um, when we come in, and and Roger is is trying to instrumentalize these, you know, break down our entire struggle into little contract details, uh, it makes it really difficult to build a larger picture of well, actually, tuition is unfair. Right, tuition increases are unfair in the working environment that we have. Uh, it's a It's a unique situation and you ch- you try to build an understanding through um you know all sorts of different complex ideas and it's 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 hard
1: I want to go to sage and then wrap up sage you've um done master's work in the u s and in that context. is there more of an a a class analysis in that environment um, where maybe you see uh greater disparities? in uh, in an American city as opposed to a canadian city
4: um well i I did undergraduate oh, work okay. in Sorry. the states yeah um and i uh i think yes i've I've only lived here for Two and a half years now, whereas I spent my entire life in the U.S. Um, so I do think there are class differences uh, that could have to do with the institution I went to. I went to Portland State University, which is a—it's the people's institution of that town. <laughs> um, so I think there are um, there are. Class differences and class perception differences between cities and perhaps nations. Although I have a very limited experience of Canada as, as a nation, but I would like to say that um, just running the unit, going back to your idea of um, the university as a place where we need to like um, have this opportunity to move up in the world and things like that. And the administration is um, just people who are who should be ensuring equality. Um, I don't. I don't think that's what the universities are up to at all anymore these days. Universities are a place of business, and they are being run like businesses, and they are trying to uh, attract the best customers possible, um, not. Necessarily, the best students possible. Although, obviously, I'm not talking about scores or anything like that. Um, they want they want uh, wealthy returns for their alumni foundation, and that's true for all universities across the board, not just UBC in particular. Um, and so, I would say that yes, there are certain particularities with UBC, but across the board, that's the general movement is a very classist one.
1: Okay. I want to ask you all to reflect on. Uh, where you think this is going and uh, what uh, resolution you think uh, will come out of uh, this, this action uh, and this struggle. And uh, you can also conclude, if you like, by just offering up um, some general thoughts on, on where we're at and uh, uh, some lessons learned. Um, We're
0: we're optimistic uh, that we'll make some gains in in mediation this round. We think our our strike action has been really effective uh, at at putting pressure on the employer. And so, I mean, we're not going to get everything that we want. We're not going to get close to that, but we think that um, we can make some gains that we can bring back to our uh, membership and say this this is what we think we can get right now. And we'll be back at the bargaining table in two years. Um, And I think at that point... Uh, well, we'll see, we'll see what happens then but it's, I'm hoping that based on the short time period that we'll have a little bit more institutional memory of the fact that um, this province in the last 10 years has uh, had economic ups and downs it's had um, booms and, and now we're bringing in another era of austerity uh, and it seems that buildings on this campus are going up Facilities are improving all the time, but when it comes to paying the workers, the cupboards in the province and the cupboards at the university are always bare. And I think, I'm hopeful that after this mobilization and this movement, that uh, if the university tries again to play the tighten your belt game in two years from now, that we're not going to stand for that.
3: With the vast amount of changes happening in the world, it's almost impossible to get a clear picture of what's really going on.
2: We are trapped within the logic of capitalism, leaving us unable to imagine what comes next.
3: The Extra Environmentalist brings the perspectives of people who can see the whole picture and are ready for whatever comes our way.
2: Tune in to The Extra Environmentalist every Wednesday from 2 to 3 p.m. on CITR 101.9 FM.
0: This is the viewpoint that makes all places the same to you.
3: The
1: federal government is trying to ram through a set of electronic surveillance laws that will invade your privacy and cost you
3: money. The plan is to force every phone and internet provider to surrender our personal information to authorities without a warrant. The worst part of their invasive, all-encompassing surveillance scheme is that you have to pay for it out of your own pocket. Send Ottawa a message by signing the petition at stopspying.ca.
1: That's Thank you. And this is the city here on CITR 101.9 FM, and that's CITR.ca. And we're syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, and that's CJSF.ca. As well, this is available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. And check out the website. There is a full podcast archive as well as exclusive web content um, and much, much more. So check it out again. That's www.thecityfm.org. And also check us out on Twitter uh, with the handle thecity__fm as well as on Facebook. And you can search the City uh, Critical Urban Discussions and you should be able to find the program's uh, Facebook page. Quite easily as well. So, I want to thank uh, you for tuning in. Uh, Certainly, a lot of uh, labor issues on the program and i want to thank my guests um and that was a, a discussion recorded on november 2nd with um QP2278 uh representatives Michael Stewart, Glennis Kirkmeyer, Sage Ponder, and Roger Clark and i want to thank them for their time in uh, really unpacking and uh, explaining a number of the issues that are on the table with the current job action uh, that QP2278 is engaged in and just to recap um They uh, have been out of um, uh, a contract. Um, Their uh, collective agreement expired in August 2010, and they've been bargaining for over two years and were in mediation from April uh, 2012 to October 2012. And their main uh, core issues going into bargaining are wage increases for all members, a hiring preference, a form of job security for graduate students in their final years of study in line with UBC's extended average time uh, to degree completion. Uh, Thirdly, protection from annual increases in tuition in the form of a tuition waiver of some kind to prevent the negation of any wage increases gained through the collective agreement. Um, And TAs uh, must be enrolled as UBC UBC students as a condition of employment. Therefore, tuition increases mean uh, uh, de facto pay cut, So they want to ensure that uh, their wage increases um, mean something and that tuition doesn't just um, at the same time simultaneously increase so it sort of negates the purpose of the wage increase. And then lastly, cost of living adjustment to keep wages and benefits in line with inflation. So that's what they're asking for and as we go to live broadcast here on Tuesday, November 6th, um, they have entered mediation uh, with uh, a third party mediator and the University so uh, we uh, will hopefully have more to come um, on that front. And again, if you're tuning in on CJSF 90.1 FM, Burnaby, um, f- coming from Simon Fraser University, um, the local um, representing a number of support workers um, is also um, currently engaged in job action. And uh, that's QP 3338. And so check out uh, the issues, learn more about what they're asking for, and uh Also, um, think about that picket line and respect that and respect what it means um, and realize that uh, these are uh, struggles for uh, living wages and um, something that we should all be working towards. So thank you so much for tuning in. Um, This is The City, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions and today looking at labor, uh, labor in the city and the city as a site of labor struggle. So we're going to wrap up the show with a track uh, from STARS And um, this is off their new album, The North, and uh, we'll be back next week with more critical urban discussions. Thanks again for tuning in.